With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to AJ I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart and Dennis Merritt, and we are Just Calls, bringing education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. And Sam and Cliff are on, are on assignment tonight, so they're not going to be with us. Okay, and Sam and uh, Cliff, good luck this evening with all your endeavors, and uh, they'll be joining us uh, in, the, in the weeks to come. Um, welcome to the program. We are very glad that you are here. Uh, have a very important topic to go into tonight. Uh, and it kind of pivots, Lisa and Dennis, off of what we talked about last week in regards to the abuse uh, behind the wall uh, and, and the victims, if you will, victims behind the pri- behind prison walls. But not only prison walls, county jails, any place where there's someone in custody, um, we are starting to find that the abuse is absolutely horrific. And we're going to dig into that a lot deeper. Uh, people are dying. People are being assaulted. Uh, people are being treated very, very much uh, inhum- inhumane, if you will. Uh, and uh, we want to address those issues. I think there's a deception uh, in this country right now about exactly what's going on in the prisons, and, and uh, we are here to expose the corruption uh, that is, is, is currently going on. And uh, we welcome you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, across America. We are coming live from Colorado Springs, Colorado, where the temperature is 58 degrees and sunny. Uh, this time last week, we were having uh, snow shovels poured out the closet to shovel snow. So we are grateful. And to our friends on the East Coast, it is 8 p.m. Uh, and in California, it is 5 p.m. So hang out with us for the next two hours, and I guarantee you it's going to be informative. Lisa, um, let's go to the disclaimer. Dennis has got that. All right, for Dennis. Us. Go ahead, Dennis. Okay, I got it. We are not attorneys, and a just cause coast-to-coast does not provide legal advice. Please contact your personal legal advisor for your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or a just cause coast to coast. As always, thank you for tuning in and choosing to spend time with us this evening. All righty. And uh, a couple of things on tap tonight for the program. We have uh, uh, Danny Salato, uh, who is actually the brother of a... Ronald Salato. Uh, Ronald Salato is that's the gentleman that was yes, that, that was name. that was killed and uh, Mr. Salato, uh, Danny is going to come on and share that story uh, and we believe that based upon what we have heard and I'm, I'm not going to go too much into uh, Mr. Salato, I will give him the opportunity to speak to those issues, um, but I can tell you that as a result of what we are talking about tonight and victims and the neglect uh, and the blatant. Uh, uh, acts that are carried out by uh, correctional officers 
um, is, is something that we're going to deal with tonight, and he'll be able to share that with us. So please, uh, if you're around the kitchen table getting ready to have some meatloaf or mashed potatoes or fried chicken, whatever your choice is going to be, we're going to ask you to get that food down and enjoy it and uh, spend some time with us. We're going to have dinner with you tonight. Our dinner will be that of conversation and uh, an in-depth look at the problems facing this country, and I think it's a, it's an around-the-kitchen-table type of uh discussion that we need to discuss as Americans. We, we have said week after week uh, for folks around the country to call in uh, and give their uh, opinion and viewpoints um, and what their thoughts are as far as what our discussion is. We're going to give you that invitation tonight as well uh, that you can dial in at 347-838-8976. That's 347-838-8976. If you can write that down, uh, we'd like to hear. It takes all of us uh, collectively talking and, and open up that dialogue and begin to speak to these issues. So you are more than welcome to call in. We value every person's opinion that calls into this program. And, again, that, that's a special invitation to all of our listeners uh, out there tonight. Um, we are going to start as well uh, with, with some current news going on right now in the country. Uh, uh, most folks are aware of the uh, death uh, of uh, Mr. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Mr. Freddie Gray in Baltimore, uh, and there's a lot of unrest going on across in that in that community right now. There are protesters out there because they are fed up uh, with this particular uh, young man was dragged, and this 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 is the account by eyewitnesses uh, was arrested, but he was from what one of the eyewitnesses stated that he was slammed into the concrete on his head. Wow! Uh, and as a result of that. Uh, they showed this Mr. Gray uh, being dragged to the police van, but he had no filling in his legs. So he severed, not, I believe his spine is, is what, what the report said. His spine was somewhat, I mean, basically, he, he became instantly paralyzed. Yeah. Um, he shortly died after that. And the question that was on the, in, on the, in the news tonight was that what was the seven minutes or so, what was going on during that time? Uh, after he was put into that van. Nobody has an account for that. And uh, shortly thereafter, this man, again, another victim of, uh, of police brutality, uh, overzealous cops that are brutal, that are, have become barbarians on our streets. Um, and another man, I, I go back to one of our previous callers, The Truth, that made the statement, every week you wake up, you wonder who will be the next victim. Uh, an African-American man killed again. And uh, this is a this is an ongoing trend, Dennis. As, as we sit here and talk about this, uh, this is why the outcry of the country is what it is. You know, by the time you try to heal over one tragedy and try to pick up the pieces, you have another one that that goes off in uh, almost the exact same type of nonsense that we're seeing. And that's true. And and you know you gotta you got you gotta be thankful for uh, video, and you gotta be thankful for uh, social media. Because uh, sure. as you can see, America is starting to see that uh, uh, we, the black men and, and, and the blacks within our community are not just making up these stories. Uh, they're starting to see it for themselves, and, and, and we're starting to see a lot of uh, compensations for wrongful convictions. We're, we're starting to see a lot of stuff uh, come out about the brutality uh, in this country. Oh, absolutely. And Lisa, as, as we were talking prior to the show, we do see an epidemic of murder. Uh, there's no other way to put it. Um, And, you know, what's amazing to me, I was watching CNN the other morning. They showed a a, a gentleman uh, get pulled out of a police car. Um, And I'm still trying to figure out what 
are, what is going through the minds of these cops to after all that has happened, you are on candid camera. That's right. Period. Now you're on the side of the highway. Anybody driving by can just flash their camera and see exactly what you're doing. And I think, again, it goes back to, as we said before, the culture of this nation, of these police departments across this country, and they get they drag this black guy out of the car. He's on his stomach with his hands behind his back, and he just commences to beating this guy in his head. And he's got him in a headlock, on it, and he's just beating him for absolutely no reason. And I think that's because uh, you got to think about the law being above the law. I mean, the, our, our police force... Our police force is, you know, they haven't been scrupulized or, or looked at or magnified to this point. I mean, since uh, you got to understand, policemen back in the 60s, I mean, they police too. Sure. Uh, uh, you know, the blacks, I mean, they, they were used to do a lot of things. So now that the light is being shed on them, it's like, wow, uh, we're starting to understand that, no, you, you're not above the law and no, you can't continue to do what you're doing. Oh, absolutely, and there has to be accountability there. Um, but this particular man, uh, I'll read a little bit of what it says. Uh, it says Lieutenant Brian Rice was the senior officer involved, and officials have said it was a lieutenant on the scene, part of a team of officers patrolling on bicycles, who made eye contact with two men, one of them Mr. Gray, and before they fled on foot, prompting the officers to pursue them, Lieutenant Rice, 41, is an 18-year veteran of the department. Officer Garrett Miller found, uh, filled out the statement of charges for arresting Mr. Gray, accusing him of carrying a switchblade knife clipped to the inside of his pants pocket. We'll get with, to that in a moment. Uh, Officer Miller, 26, a member of the department since 2012, wrote the defendant was arrested without force or without incident. The others suspended are Sergeant Alicia White, 30, who joined the department in 2010, Officer William Porter, 25, who joined in 2012, and Officer Edward Nero, 29, who joined in 2012. Uh, Baltimore officials have moved quickly to release information, and Mayor Stephanie Rawlings-Blake and Police Commissioner Anthony W. Batts uh, promised a thorough and transparent investigation into the circumstances surrounding Mr. Gray's death. Uh, now, here's what absolutely does not make any sense to me. You have an officer basically stating the arrest was made without incident or any type of issue. How is that possibly coming out of your mouth? When a man died. Exactly. He died in your custody. But that's not an incident. That's not that's not a problem because he's a black man. Absolutely. And, and black lives matter. Uh, we've been seeing that across the news. And but as you read the time that these folks have been on the force, it's been very little. These are rookies. These yeah. are rookie. And you've got one 18 year old veteran on the, on the scene. Right. So you've got rookies being gun ho. And I saw the video where Mr. Gray was dragged. He lost all feeling in his legs. And he was screaming, they said, as he got, they tried to put him in the van. He was screaming in agonizing pain. What was the delay on getting him medical help? Why was that delayed? Why was not uh, an EMT uh, vehicle called out there immediately from the time that you slammed his head into the concrete and crippled this man? That's, those are questions that, and that's why Baltimore is in flux tonight. And the folks are on the streets crying out for justice, crying out that something happened, crying out that, you know what, this is enough. How many protests are we going to have to have? We have to get involved. Lisa, go ahead. Lamont and uh, Dennis, I'm looking at this article, and it's saying that in Baltimore, police community, police community tensions date at least two, to 2005, when the police department, following a practice known as zero-tolerance policing, made more than 100,000 arrests 
in a heavily African American city, then roughly of, of then roughly six hundred forty thousand people. Wow! They arrested a hundred thousand people in two thousand six. The NAACP and the American Civil Liberties Union sued the city, and the city settled with them in two thousand ten for eight hundred seventy thousand dollars and agreed to retrain retrain officers and publicly rejected the zero-tolerance policing. Unbelievable. It says here, Lisa, on the, uh, pivoting off of that, uh, that uh, police, investig- excuse me, police investigators said they still do not understand precisely how or when Mr. Gray was injured. But Ms. Rawlings-Blake has indicated that the injury probably occurred after Mr. Gray was placed in the van. That's absolute nonsense because I saw the video. So... That's also well, dra- there, you know you said this man is being dragged. Yes, his injury already happened. How are you saying that happened in the car? Now I will say this: an injury, more injuries. Yeah, they could have been beating him in the beating car. Beating him in the car that occurred after that fact, and Mr. Bass conceded that officers had been slow to recognize that Mr. Gray was apparently who had who apparently had asthma, needed medical attention before he was put in the van. He asked for his inhaler, which he did not have with him. We should have probably asked for paramedics sooner, the commissioner said. Well, if the man is saying he can't breathe, hold on, let me think. Do we give him something to breathe? Maybe we should call paramedics or just drag him in the van without any so- – you know how miserable that is for a person with asthma that is having an attack and he has no access to his inhaler? That is miserable. This suffoc- uh, suffocating black people is beginning to become a habit here. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, how many how many stories are we going to hear of a black man being detained by police or being abused by police saying I can't breathe and not getting any kind of response to that or getting anything any nothing's happening nothing's changing right. uh they just keep on doing it you're just going to keep on abusing these people I don't care and they don't care if you can't breathe because they don't care if you die yeah, and I think, Lisa, as you said, we're talking about an epidemic, a trend. Uh, it says here in this article uh, written by the New York Times uh, that uh, in, the, in the death, Mr. Gray, 25 years of age, has become the latest symbol in the running national debate over police treatment of black men. 20, All, I'm sorry, did you say 25 years of age? 25 years old. Wow. Life ahead of him. Uh, you know what I mean? All the more saying to say people here saying a city where the mayor and police commissioner are black. In a city where the police commissioner and them are black, that goes to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. The culture has now you got a you got a, a bunch of police departments full of Uncle Toms walking around, yes sirs, uh, and and not adhering to what is right. That's right. And uh, we talked about that in the in in uh, Mr. Walter uh, is it Walter Scott, uh, the gentleman. Yeah. Uh, we got a black Uncle Tom sitting there letting it go. Sitting down there putting the handcuffs, helping with the handcuffs on another African-American person's body. And you see the officer drop the taser by his body. You know what? Uncle Tom's need to go ahead and step away. You know what I mean? This is ridiculous. And we expect people to stand up. The African-American community needs to stand up. We talked about our little civil rights leaders. Well, let's take leaders off in civil rights. Our little uh, three-piece suit uh, civil rights folks that are all over the country want to come out to be seen on TV with their shiny polyester suits and not do nothing. 
exactly. uh, in regards to what's happening in this country. Exactly. You got Hollywood sitting quiet. Mister uh, Miss Oprah Winfrey talking about, I'm waiting for somebody to lead. You get up and lead then. That's exactly. right. You know what I mean? What What is going on with the mindset of African Americans in this country? And we have so many African Americans that have a voice that people will listen to, and they will not say anything. It, they won't speak to it. They won't say anything because they are too afraid to be on the wrong side of the fence. I mean, we got Medea out there. Everybody wants to go see Medea uh, uh, talk smack. And, and and I'll say that to um, uh, Tyler Perry. Ty, Mr. Tyler Perry, <laughs> take the costume off and come on out and say something that needs to be said. You can use Medea if you want to. Use her. Get out there and say something that something has to be done. This is utterly ridiculous. And then we want to sit back and say, reach out and touch somebody's hand. Let's make a difference. You can get on a concert stage and sing that all day long, and but you know what? You're not doing nothing. Excuse my poor English, but that's just the way it is. This is unbelievable. Where are the voices? Right. Where are the voices where people are crying out against injustice? And the change that's coming about right now, what little change that is coming, I mean, uh, it has nothing to do with our leadership. It, it has nothing really to do with those uh, those black Americans that are in a position to make a difference. It's happening, again, I can't stress this enough, because of social media. Because, like, like you said, you're on candid camera. So as long as uh, people continue to uh, use their cameras, continue to use Twitter and all these different uh, social media uh, devices, uh, it's going to make a change, believe it or not but not as quick as we want it. But that's when it comes to everybody's got to come together and say enough is enough. Black lives matter. Absolutely. And so I think it's a matter of, you know, us taking a look in the mirror. Uh, Michael Jackson wrote a song years ago uh, called man in the mirror. And that's where change starts. So, uh, we got to look at ourselves, and if you're doing all that you need to do, get involved with communities, get involved with uh, what can I do. We can sit back and make excuses and say, well, you know what, it's just me, mine, and, and me and my family, that's all I'm concerned about. Well, guess what? We are molding a nation and a future that doesn't look too good for our youngsters coming up in this country uh, for what they are saying. We have to change the trend now. That little Johnny that's playing in the front yard and and uh, going down a, a, a slide or playing on a swing, he has no comprehension of the condition of this country. We have the responsibility as Americans to say, you know what, I need my future. I need to, we need to get involved to make our future better for our kids and their kids. That's right. That's what's going to matter. Go ahead, Lisa. Now, we're going to be going to break in just one minute, but I just want to remind everyone that a just cause came to be as a result of the case of the IRP-6. If you're not familiar with the case, we would like you to go out there. The guest on tonight is going to be is a man whose brother actually spent time in prison with the IRP-6, who are, have been wrongly convicted and have been for the past, what is it, going on three years now. Yes. Uh, the IRP-6 are David Banks, Dave Zerpolo, Kendrick Barnes, Clint Stewart, Demetrius Harper, and Gary Walker. If, you're, if you'd like to get a little more information, we're not going to get too in-depth into that story tonight. If you want to get more information on that, you can go out to freetheirp6.org. That's freetheirp6.org, and you can get in-depth information about the IRP-6 case, profiles on the IRP-6, background information about IRP Solutions Corporation, uh, along with court documents, including transcripts, motions, and other background information. So if you're wanting just to get to find out a little bit more about how we got started and what started us down this line of wanting to make sure that justice is being done, this case is what got it all started. This is where it came from. Absolutely. And ladies and gentlemen, 
get the cup of coffee, a piece of coffee cake, whatever you want this evening. Put cake and pudding. Cake and pudding. Hey, whatever, whatever <laughs> makes you happy, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to ask you to invite your family, friends, doctors, dentists, school teachers, whoever you got in mind. Give them a call tonight. Tell them a Just Cause Radio is getting ready to kick off. This is a Just Cause. With, I'm Lamont Banks with Lisa Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and this is a Just Cause Coast to Coast. We'll bring you education, awareness, and information about what? Judicial injustice. We'll be right back. <laughs> Stay with us. children are literally eating themselves to death. Many experts predict that this may be the first generation of children that doesn't live as long as their parents because of the problem of obesity. A quarter of American children don't exercise regularly. The average school-aged child watches four to six hours of TV every day, bombarded by commercials for fast food and junk. How you make these kinds of lifestyle changes in your kids is to make them yourself. Make the effort. Fight childhood obesity. A message from the Government of Canada. Did you know that over 1.5 million children in America have parents that are incarcerated? These children cope with the pain through drugs, alcohol, anger, and violence. It is so important. so important. It is so important for communities to provide preventative and intervention services. Don't make them do it alone. Become a part of the community. The community. The community. Become a part of the community. Each week, a Just Cause Coast to Coast shares compelling stories about judicial injustice. But AJC doesn't leave it there. AGC Radio provides top guests from around the country who are advocates, activists, attorneys, and judges who provide insight into current events and the law. If you believe in what AJC is doing, we ask that you make a donation of any amount. Your kindness will be greatly appreciated. Go to www.a-justcause.com and click on the donate button. Again, www.a-justcause.com and click on the donate button. A Bart police officer who shot and killed a man. When I first saw the Oscar Grant footage, like a lot of people here in Oakland, I was outraged. As soon as I heard about it and I went online and I seen what had happened, tears came down my eyes. It was something that was very alarming as a police officer and as a citizen of Oakland. It was like such a blatant murder. You have a city in trauma. Anyone that's seen that and looks at it is in trauma. My hope is that people will express their concern with police brutality, but they will do so in constructive ways that don't include violence. We cannot perpetrate this cycle of harm and violence in this community. Because we do have to live here and they terrorize the city and it's only going to make it worse for us. They killed our young you can protest, you can try to make a change, but there is a positive way you can do it. And make sure we let the police know and that we're aware that stuff ain't right out here. And we're trying to fix it. In a way that is about using your voice for justice. And making Oakland a safer place for everyone to live and get along as one. Violence is not just Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Talk, news, politics, and inspiration. 
The opinions and views expressed by guests and callers on A Just Cause Coast to Coast do not necessarily reflect those of A Just Cause or A Just Cause Coast to Coast. Welcome back, America. This is a Just Cause Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. Welcome to the program. We are back and uh, discussing uh, some very serious topics uh, now in this country uh, that are going on uh, in regards to victims behind prison walls. So we, we're going to get into that right now and uh, get into some discussions. Uh, I think, Lisa and Dennis, uh, the country has a a perception of what they call a victim. Uh, I can guarantee you that most folks listening to this program tonight never ever will categorize an inmate in a jail or a prisoner that's locked up as a victim. Now that's tragic because we have several issues happening uh, behind the wall in regards to victims. The gentleman uh, that we talked to um, uh, that we talked about last week. Um, uh, went into being tortured, and we're getting his information now, tortured and burned to death by scalding water. Um, so we, we, we're going to dig into that a little bit more, why nothing is being done down there in the state of Florida in regards to the brutal attack um, that is going on uh, down there in Florida prisons, but not only in Florida prisons, we're talking about uh, county jails. Uh, people are dying every single day, and we know nothing about it. And uh, it becomes personal when it's your mom or your dad, your sister or your brother. Well, I got news for you, ladies and gentlemen, out there tonight. Everybody in in the human race, we're brothers and sisters of the human race. So that is my brother. That is my sister. That is my mother. That is my father. Uh, that is the bottom line. And until you recognize that and take a look at that, uh, we're never going to deal with it accordingly as we need to. And I think that, Lisa, that's something that's uh, – that needs to be, I would, I believe, embedded in the hearts of people to understand. We, you know, well, that's not my brother. Well, you know what? He is my brother. That's right. You know what I mean? And uh, Dennis, I think you served in the military uh, before. Yes, I did. Uh, and I, you, and you had comrades out there that that's family. Exactly, and it didn't matter what color they were. It had nothing to do with it. I mean, we took care of each other uh, because I need to make, I need to know, I need to have known that uh, no matter what the situation came up, my back was being covered. No, absolutely, and I think America needs to get that type of spirit, if you will, uh, in our hearts towards our brothers and sisters across this country, and that first starts with exposing the corruption and the things that are going on in this nation. Uh, we have an article here uh, that we're going to get into here in a few moments, and uh, it talks about five deaths in 11 months at a California jail spark grand jury probe. Now, I'm all with that conversation until I hear grand jury probe. <laughs> Does anybody have any reason, any any uh, guess of why that is? Because the grand jury system sucks. Absolutely. So you know, I was I was all for that. But five people have died, and I'll go here. It says a Santa Cruz County, California grand jury investigation concluded that a multitude of breakdowns contributed to the deaths of five jail detainees over an 11 month period between August 2012 and July 2013. Four of the deaths occurred after the county contracted with the for-profit California Forensic Medical Group to provide health care at the jail as a money-saving measure 
But the grand jury panel found the company only partly to blame for circumstances surrounding the deaths. The panel noted in a report released in May 2014 that in several cases, jail guards were just as much or more at fault for the deaths of these men. On August 25, 2012, Christy Sanders, 27 years old, died of, massive, of a massive infection between her lungs and rib, which, according to the sheriff's coroner's office, had been developing over a period of weeks. Her lungs reportedly collapsed due to a buildup of pus. As a result of the infection, she also had hepatitis C and had repeatedly complained of difficulty breathing. The grand jury said the local hospital at the first misdiagnosed Sanders and later corrected the diagnosis but failed to inform the jail. Wow. Do you believe that type of insanity? If I hear not breathing one more time, (laughs) I'm going to get a little bit upset. Just a little bit. How, uh, you know what? It's just philosophy that... If you're in prison, first of all, there's there's many people in prison right now that shouldn't be there. They're, they're innocent, mm-hmm. but they got caught up in the system. Sure. Still, just the fact, it seems as though if you're in prison, you're automatically non-human. You, you, know, it doesn't, you don't matter. So as far as health care, they could care less. It's like, hey, you, you're a criminal. You don't deserve health care. You're a dollar. Is what dollar. you are because you're make, they're making money off of every inmate they have in there. Absolutely, and, and we as we get into this program, ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you right now from my experience and the things that I have seen behind the wall, uh, it, it'll make you nauseous. And the lack of care and the lack of treatment, um, I suffer things right now from my wrongful incarceration uh, in my body that I have to deal with on a daily basis: hmm. uh, type two diabetes, as well as chronic back pain and uh to into the chiropractor that i see here locally uh stated to me when he did the x-rays on my back he had never seen damage severe damage to that level in his career now that's some serious damage and that's a result of not giving inmates a decent mattress to sleep on Mm -hmm. these are lifelong injuries these are not injuries that just go away because you get out of prison that's right. This is for the rest of your life. You have to deal with the ramifications, the uh, repercussions of a system that has failed. And, and what I don't get is not, uh, you know, the taking of my freedom. I, I mean, that's that's humongous in itself. But then not only do you take my freedom, but you 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 put me in a position where, you know, I can't I, there's there's nothing for me. I can't. I can't even go to sleep and get a good night's rest. I mean, I can't eat a good meal. You're not going to give me that. I mean, you're going to make me go to the commissary because you're going to serve me slop. I mean, it does not make sense. I no. understand if if I've done something, I need to pay for it. But how many different ways are you going to make me pay for it? Well, and again, that is what we're talking about tonight. These have These folks are becoming victims of crimes. We got a clip we're going to play for you right now, uh, going into some conversation uh, in regards to corruption and the example of prison abuse and corrupt supervision. Hey. Yes, there should be a balance, and, and I, I'm going to tell you my experience from investigating uh, a death of an inmate at Charlotte Correctional Institution who was uh, beaten over a five-day period, uh, stripped naked, his food thrown on the floor. He was told to bow down when they came to the cell. And when he bowed down, they threw his food tray right on the floor, told him to eat it, 
when he didn't eat at all, they would go in and beat him. On the fifth day, they strapped him down naked to a metal bunk, and they had taken turns beating him so much he died. And when I got to the crime scene, here's an inmate, totally naked, bruised from head to toe with blood on his body, and he's deceased. So you know that he did not kill himself, and um, we ended up indicting uh, 10 staff members, and we went to federal court in Fort Myers. But uh, what happens is I blame a lot of it on supervision because if the supervisors were getting up out of their office and doing their job, they could prevent a lot of this. But, however, in this case I just told you about, unfortunately, the two captains were involved in it, and they got indicted also, so that made it kind of... Uh, tough on the folks that did not want to be involved in this. Wow. Ain't that something? That's horrific. You strap an inmate down to his bunk and you beat him for five days. If that doesn't sound like a plantation situation from a clip from Roots, I don't know what it is. And then bow to me? Wow. Are you are you kidding me? Bow. Really? Ladies and gentlemen, this this is the horrific stuff we are talking about that nobody talks about at the dinner table. That's right. You know what I mean? But we're going to talk about it here on this radio show, and I guarantee you, whether you like it or not, uh, we're going to pull the cover off this type of corruption. Yeah, and, and America needs to, I mean, let's not wait till it's in your in your house or in your home. Let's not wait till it's your son or daughter or, or mother or father. Absolutely. I mean, we need to react now. I mean, and, and it's so weird how people wait until it hits home. No. Don't wait, but let's stop it before it hit home. Absolutely. Victims behind the wall, ladies and gentlemen. That's the topic tonight. And as we go into that topic, uh, we have some very special guests joining us tonight in regards to a horrific situation. Um, and they're going to tell their story. we got Randy and Danny Salato uh, on the line with us now. And, folks, uh, Danny and Randy, thank you so much uh, for taking the time and to share with our listeners tonight uh, some of the things you folks have had to endure as a, as a result of Mr. Robert Salado, uh, the beloved Robert Salado, who lost his life, and uh, we our condolences to you and your family. And I don't care how long it's been or how whatever, we give our sincere condolences exactly. to you, folks. Welcome to the program tonight. Thanks for joining us. Very good. Thank you very much. And it's actually a privilege to tell our story about our our, our brother Ron. Uh, where would you like us to start? <laughs> well, uh, folks, I'll give you folks the floor and let you go. And as we, as we need to interject, and we may have callers that call in that may want to comment or ask questions. So, uh, any t- any any way you want to get started, uh, we yield ourselves okay, to you to do I'll, that. Okay. I'll tell you, this is I'm. My name is Danny, and my brother Randy is also on the line. We were both uh, equally part of this, and uh, we made phone calls upon phone calls and phone calls over the period of six, eight, ten months trying to get rectified. This is what, what actually started. Uh, sometime around in June of 2014, our brother was complaining of severe pain and not getting any medical care. He had been working in uh, uh, the Unicorn Division. He got hit with a forklift. Uh, he also fell a concrete floor over a railing and believe he broke his back or, or injured his back seriously. He would go to the, the, the health care unit at the prison daily trying to get somebody to take a look at him and trying to get some meds, and he was completely, he was denied. They said the only thing they gave him was Advil. And you have to understand, this is actually contradictory to what the prison record, the prison record say we were going to give him this, 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 and this, but Mm -hmm. our brother emailing us daily said the only thing I'm getting is Advil when we have it. 
So you want to fast forward from June until uh, to October, and our brother Randy and I actually flew back to Florence, Colorado, and to visit our brother in prison. When we saw him, we were shocked. He looked absolutely horrific. His headache was so bad at that time. Now, this is in early October. His mm-hmm. headache was so bad, we were trying to co- talk to him, and he was having a very hard time carrying on a conversation. He said he was hungry. We got a few things out of the vending machine for him, and we tried to carry on a conversation. He was kind of fading in and out. He was in a wheelchair. Uh, he had dropped from about 165 pounds down to about 125, 128 pounds, it says, what he weighed. So uh, that night ended early. We couldn't spend the entire time with him because he just physically wasn't able to. His, his headache was too bad. We went back the next morning, which was Sunday morning, and uh, we checked in at 8 o'clock just like everybody else is allowed to. And uh, about 8.30, we were told that Ron was was unavailable. He was not going to be able to, to do the visitation. And then a paramedic came out and told us that Ron was severe enough where they were going to take him to the hospital. And we said, oh, thank goodness, he's finally going to get some medical care. Somebody's going to take a look at what's wrong with him, and, and, and we're going to find out. Well, what happened next was the, the, the paramedic that came out and told us, who was a, an employee of the, the prison, said, if you guys want to stand right here, we're going to bring him right through here. You can say hi to him, you'll give him your love, and then we'll transport him to the hospital. So we said, fine. Well, we hung out from 8 o'clock in the morning all the way to somewhere between 11.30 and 12 o'clock. And then we were told at 11.30 or 12 o'clock that because we were on the premises, the prison had decided they could not transport him due to security issues. We were ordered to leave the prison so that they could transport Ron to the hospital. Well, my brother Randy and I immediately said, hey, he needs to go to the hospital. We'll leave. We, we don't agree with what's going on, but we didn't make a big scene. Fine. We left. Well, we had made some friends from uh, Just Cause and some of the other prisoners, and we found out through our friends that he was never actually transported until after 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, okay, they so... They took him to the local hospital. Go ahead. So, if I'm clear, this is when the, the the start of the lies began to start, where the lying began to start. Well, the, by lies, the, well, the lies had been going on, and the problem was that we had no way of knowing there were lies until yes. we were there in person and saw what was going on. We could have okay. been being lied to for the last six months and, 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 and didn't know. We were assuming everybody was as honest as you and I are, but that proved not to be the case, well. <laughs> unfortunately. So, okay. anyway, what, what happens next is uh, um, they take him to the hospital, and he is returned the same night, and nothing is, is done. We're still able to communicate Ron a little bit with email, and they did absolutely nothing to him. So we started calling immediately. I would say every two days, every three days, we would call the prison, and we would talk to the prison a staff sergeant, Sergeant Cardova, and there's a, there a couple of other people in the medical field that says, what is going on with our brother? He needs help. Well, nobody would return our phone call. In fact, my brother Randy will verify this. Randy called one time and talked to Cordova, and his response was, I am a busy man. I don't have time for this, and then promptly hung up. Yes. So, okay. yeah. Yeah, this this is this is getting bad. Well, this goes on for a couple of weeks, and we're getting okay. absolutely nowhere. Nobody's picking up the phone. Nobody's talking to us. Uh, nobody will return our phone calls. So what happens next is that we decide to get a hold of our local congressman, uh, Doug Lamalfa. He's a farmer, a very, very nice, good gentleman, family man. He's normal. 
we got a hold of this staff, and they decided, well, we'll call, and we'll find out exactly what's going on for you. So they called back on a Friday afternoon back to Washington, D.C., because one of Doug Lamalfa's staff had a friend that worked in Washington, D.C. He called her friend and said, she said, I will find out exactly what's going on with this guy. Well, it turns out the prison showed up the next morning, which was Saturday morning. The prison doctor showed up to check on our brothers. Well, when they found him, he was completely unresponsive, completely unresponsive. They did everything in their power to try to make him come come back to life. They couldn't. He was breathing, but totally unresponsive. So they loaded him up immediately and rushed him straight to the hospital because somebody in Washington was asking about what was going on. Now, you have to understand that for the last couple of weeks, there was uh, Ron's two cellmates had been taking care of him. We found this out later because we were able to talk to friends who had family in the prison, and they were able to re- they reported back to us. There were two cellmates of Ron's that actually took care of him completely for two weeks. For two weeks, Ron was unable to eat, unable to dress himself, was completely incontinent. They bought, with their own money, uh, adult diapers, changed his diapers three times a day, showered him three times a day, hand-fed him whenever they could get him uh, consciousness. And this went on for two weeks. So the Saturday when the prison showed up and they found him unresponsive and they could not bring him back to consciousness, they rushed him straight to the hospital. This is where it gets really interesting. When they get to the hospital, now this comes from uh, Mr. Cordova completely because he got the hospital records from earlier. The hospital, Ron shows up at the hospital, and the hospital says, get this guy out of here. He's already been here. He has something wrong with his brain, and we do not have the capabilities to treat him. Get him out of here. Well, it turns out when Ron, when Randy and I visited that Saturday early in October, he went to the hospital. They did do a CAT scan, and they found a white mass on his brain. Well, the mm. guard that took him there apparently reported, there's no money for tests. Send them back to prison. That's what happened. Okay. So That's now cool. he's unresponsive. Yeah. It's terrible. And then so, that hospital says, get him out of here. We cannot treat him. So well, they then refused. he was transported. Go ahead. Sorry, Randy. They refused treatment then. A hospital yes. said it costs too much money. We're not going to treat him. No, no, that's not. Prison? No, no, that's not the truth. No, no. What happened was the hospital said he has a white mass on his brain. The guards, mm. the people that took him to the hospital, mm. informed the hospital, "I'm sorry, there's no money for tests. Send them uh. back to prison." The hospital needed to do more tests, and they were denied. The hospital was denied. And, and here's what is confusing to me, and I'll let you continue here in a moment, Randy. That Sure. How how does a correction officer make that call? That's a that's a that's a big call. How do we you make know. that call? That you make a statement know. and say, "There's no money for this. We're going to send take him back to prison." So the hospital was attempting to treat him, yes. and the uh, and Danny, the the correctional officer who brought them to the prison, which is nothing more than a transfer CO, transporting CO. That's all he is. Made the yes. statement. We don't have money for this. We're taking him back to the prison. That's exactly what we understand. And this information, you have to understand, this information came from an email from our brother right after he went to the hospital in October. This is while Mm -hmm. he was still conscious. His spelling was terrible. His, his, His punctuation was awful. But he said, I went to the hospital last night. The guard who took me there 
told the hospital there's no money for tests. I'm taking him back to prison. And this came from our brother. Wow. And so he was sent back. Excuse me, Randy. Is there any record of, of his visit to the hospital? You know, quite frankly, we don't know. We don't. We have tried to get a hold of MRIs that we take later. We tried to get information, and we're being denied all the requests. Everything we we were asking for, we have been denied all the records that go from that. So the medical then, records. Uh, go ahead, Danny. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, that's quite all right. What happens next is it, it get. This is where it gets really scary. Uh, the hospital says we can't treat him, get him out of here. So they immediately transport him from Florence or Pueblo, I think is where the hospital was. I'm not really positive. Mm-hmm. I think it was in Pueblo. They yeah. transport him immediately up to Denver, and he goes to St. Anthony's Hospital. Well, a Dr. Robinson, who is a, a, a neurosurgeon specializing in brain surgery, Dr. Robinson takes one look at Ron, they do an MRI, and he calls my brother Randy, who is currently on the line. He calls Randy right out of the blue, clear blue sky and says, your brother is in bad shape. He has a huge uh, grade 4 glioblastoma brain tumor, and if we don't operate, he will not live two days. Wow. That's what happened next. And so my brother Randy, who's on the line, Randy had to give the hospital permission to do immediate emergency surgery. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, Randy, still you still there, Bob? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, Randy. Okay, good. Danny and Randy, hang on here. We're going to take a quick break. And Randy, we're going to come to you. Uh, it sounds like you got some information to provide for us as well. And uh, if you can hang in there with us on the other side of this break, we'll Not come right back to you. Ladies and gentlemen of America, we sent a plea out again. This is a victim, Mr. Robert Salato. Departed this Ronald. life as a result, Ronald, excuse me, Salado, departed this life as, at the hand of a corrupt and a crooked system. And the question is, does anybody care? We care. And we're asking America to reach out and care as well. This is the Just Calls Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Are we out there? Randy, I, I think we must be. I hear the sound behind us. <laughs> the federal government targeted. Uh. Prosecutor convicted six executives in held back evidence. Hundreds of pages of Mr. Mayne's court circuit. Tempest. Denying the rid of mandibus. Read RP6, critical yeah. rights violations, scandalous. Uh. Their motivation is finished, they've been as yeah. Major companies, the government, New York PD, DHS, potential customers. Come on, faith attempt to obtain funding from banks and angel investors with no success. Uh. Com meltdown, finance, skeptics, Ooh. so they hire a staffing company to fill the gap with yeah. every attention to fulfill the contract. Yeah. To the deal when money come back, everybody paid the bills to wages. Take care of all come of that. On. No Friday, they got viable uh. Uh-huh. But you compare them to those with nothing to offer what? Prosecuted by the attorney's office what? Before the FBI gotta start investigating charges Skipping Ooh. steps in the process what? Even boring the testimony of Andrew Alvarez A witness who could tell why any staffing company That could do with the rest street Credit check would stick out their neck uh-huh. If there was no prospect 
make it connect when they're real in the net. It all relates to Harvey Silver Glade State. Nothing about the vagueness of federal law. Do this from chaos. A underscore just cause. Be the RP6.4. It's just us, but we don't gotta just talk. We can just march through the courts for the cause with one voice and just free them all. Come on. Welcome back, America. This is the Just Calls Coast to Coast. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and our very special guests, um, Danny and Randy Salato. Randy. Welcome, yeah. Randy. Randy. Yep. Welcome back to the program, folks. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, as we said prior to going to that break, uh, we got a huge uh, issue here with a life being lost. Uh, Mr. Ronald Salato, who passed away, um, looks like on April 2nd of this year. Is that correct, Danny? Yes, it sure is. Yes. And um, we are exposing the fact that this is a life that did not have to be lost. Uh, And as a result of we're talking tonight about victims behind the wall, and Danny and and, and Randy, that's our topic tonight. And uh, we we believe that uh, your brother was a victim of a system that has gone uh, astray. And uh, we're here to expose that corruption and hopefully get America thinking that we have a serious problem going on here. And thank you guys for taking time out of your schedules and for sharing this with us at your time of bereavement. Uh, We appreciate it, and uh, our prayers and thoughts go with you and your family as you get through this difficult time. Um, You're welcome. And as we go forward, uh, I believe, uh, Randy, you had something that you wanted to add uh, to this conversation. Please go ahead. Yeah, we we got to the point where uh, 
we were in conversation with the hospital and, and getting some help to Ron. Well, when they finally discovered that there was a problem and they decided they needed to move him to uh, up to Denver to the St. Anthony's Hospital, uh, the prison called me and talked to me for quite a while, the medical staff at the prison, and their point of calling me was to tell me that uh, the, the blame to be put on all this was the hospital in Pueblo for not diagnosing it sooner. <laughs> and uh, the gentleman that called me was somebody that we could never get in hold of. We we called and called and called. He wouldn't return our phone calls. And all of a sudden, I get a phone call from him at about 3.30 in the afternoon after I'd already talked to the hospital and told him to go ahead and operate on my brother. Uh, he spent about an hour on the phone with me convinced me that they did everything they could to help Ron and that it was the hospital's fault. And um, uh, just trying to cover their tracks, obviously trying to cover their tracks, very obviously. So, um, and that's the way a lot of this went. Um, The prison just accepted no responsibility for Ron's condition and what was going on with him uh, at all. So just wanted to add that real quick. Well, a quick question for you. You know, if the hospital is t- is t- not taking responsibility, now let me ask you a question. And again, I'm not a doctor, but uh, if I am at a, at a hospital and and the, the statement is being made by the medical staff there that surgery has to happen, we need to treat this man, uh, otherwise he may very well die. Uh, I would presume that the hospital takes precedence and as far as authority and jurisdiction of that situation. Um, to provide that care. And security, I would presume, would be called and stated to those folks that, you know what, you cannot take him out of this hospital because he's entitled right. well, to medical like, care. Exactly. Like Dan was stating, they were taking him to a hospital in Pueblo. They took him there three times total. And uh, the second time they took him and, and did an MRI, they came up and they, they said they had a mass, uh, a small white mass. They weren't really sure what it was, and that's when the hospital excuse me, that's when the prison told the hospital, uh, we don't have money to care for this. We need to get him back to the prison. And so they took him back to the prison. Uh, that's when he failed. Uh, he was failing miserably at the prison. Uh, he had two inmates that were care- caring for him uh, daily on their own, and uh, they couldn't get any help. The prison wouldn't come look, come look at him. And that's when, uh, like Dan said, that's when the, uh, the congressman got involved and somebody actually went to his uh, cell and looked at him and said, we got to do something. we got to get him out of here. Uh, they took him back to Pueblo, where they had been twice before. Pueblo told them, uh, you've already brought him in here. We've already told you there's a problem with his brain. We can't help him. You need to take him somewhere else. Uh, at that point, because he was so unresponsive, they had to do something. They had no choice at that point. Uh, that's when they took him up to St. Anthony's on a, a uh, Sunday night, I believe he got there. Monday mornings when I got to call the guy to be to operate right. now, and they, uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, so that's kind of how that uh, trail went. But during his time in his cell, uh, he got no help, zero help. Uh, I, I even to go a step farther. Uh, there was two uh, inmates that helped Ron uh, during the last few weeks, especially because he he became immobile. And then uh, the last, uh, uh, about the last four days, and we've talked to both of these people, he became, like Dan said, totally unresponsive, and they cared for him, and they tried to get the guards to get him out of there. Um, had, had it not been for those two inmates, he'd have died in his cell. He, he'd, he'd, be, he'd have been dead then. Uh, yes. So, 
and then and then the Moffat's right. office did some help and got him out of there. Right. This is this is now now we're at the, at the middle of November. Is what we're now okay. we're at. Right. We're from October till the middle of November. So it's been five weeks, uh, not even quite six weeks from the transition from now until he's completely irresponsive, uh, unresponsive. And another thing that I have that we got was a letter from the warden that was in response to the congressman states in his letter, the warden states in his letter that uh, they believe that Ron's staking his condition uh, and not, he didn't use the word fake, but he, he said we can't find anything wrong with him and we believe that the symptoms may be uh, of his own imagination and that also that they have appointed inmates to watch him, uh, both Total, total lies. There was nobody ever appointed. Uh, the, the gentleman that took care of him did it on his own. The two gentlemen, they begged uh, to get moved into the block. Uh, uh, so if it hadn't been for those two inmates, uh, Ron would have died in his cell. Nobody would have cared. So let me make sure I'm clear on this because I'm a little baffled right now. And uh, yeah, so are we you, sometimes. This is unbelievable. You're telling me the warden number one has made an accusation, and we'll call it what it is. He makes an accusation that that your brother is faking this. It's his imagination. This is something that's in his it, mind. Yes, Go this ahead. is in writing. This in is writing. in writing. He wrote this in writing. Make sure you hold on to hold that. On Do you folks have that? Oh, we have it. Yeah, we have documented everything. Uh, we kept hold of everything. This is what's insane to me. And this goes again to we talk about these are – Abusers that run our prisons. How do you appoint inmates with no medical degree, no uh, knowledge or education into medical issues? Well, we've assigned inmates to be watching him at all times. Well, inmates tend to go away and get a a soup out the box. They'll go grab a bagel and a a candy bar and a soda and say, you know, I'm going to sit down and take it easy. You know why? That at. was a complete lie. They never did. They never even assigned inmates. That's how bizarre this thing was. You're yeah, right. The point inmates that, should that, never they be did in that not position. appoint anybody. They didn't appoint yeah. anybody, and two gentlemen in the prison that were inmates took it upon themselves to do it at their own risk. Took care of him um, without without the approval of the prison or anything. And then yet the prison writes a letter to us saying, "Hey, we've got it taken care of. We got we're we got a couple guys watching him for you," which was a total lie. Total, total lie. And that means that they knew that uh, there were inmates taking care of them, I guarantee you. I'm, I'm oh. sure the guards saw yeah. that, and that they, they yeah. jumped on that real quick to try to use it on their behalf. But it really, to be honest with you, uh, Danny and Randy, this goes to the the insanity of the culture that's going on in this country right now. you got a man that right. has been told by the hospital that he is he's ill. The fact that, and I'm still trying to get over that hump, so so bear with me, folks. You tell this man we cannot, we don't have money for this. We're taking him back to the prison. This is a life-threatening yeah. situation. For so for the warden to make a statement, well, we don't, we can't see any see anything wrong with him. He's not a doctor. You're not a doctor. So how are you supposed yeah. to see anything? This is the this yeah. is the abuse. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, they, there was several things happening. We're only giving you the Reader's Digest version, obviously. There's so much that went on. Back in July, uh, they applied to take him back to Butner, North Carolina, uh, 
where he could get some mental atten- um, uh, medical attention. And then it turns out they said, as soon as we have a bed available, we'll move him to Butner, which never happened uh, at all. The paperwork was all canceled. He never got there. We haven't even begun to touch yet on the compassionate release that was in for Ron. Uh, when we found out, when he got operated on, uh, and they determined that he had between four and six months to live, uh, a compassionate release was filed on his behalf, and they originally told us we should have him home in three to five weeks. We'll have him home because he's only got four to six months to live, and he needs to be with his family. Um, so they moved him from the hospital in uh, Denver. They moved him to um, a rest home, a rehab center. And in the, in the first thing in the morning, one morning, unbeknownst to us, unbeknownst to the rehab center he was at, uh, 6 o'clock in the morning they come in they take him out uh, and take him to Butner, North Carolina. Uh, he didn't know where he was going. The uh, rehab center had no idea where he was going. Uh, they called us to find out what was going on. The doctor that was caring for him there thought that they brought him home. They thought, okay, they finally took him home like they should have. Uh, so they had no idea what was going on. So that was even adds to the bizarre stuff of it also, too. If they just shuffled him in the middle of the night. Uh, Ron called us uh, uh, on a, I believe it was a Tuesday morning, said, I'm back in Butner, North Carolina. And uh, so his this son. This the last week of February. Yeah, this is uh, just about a month before he passed. So his son made arrangements to to go see him. And they told him no, that they were in a lockdown, and he probably couldn't come out for two weeks. And then after the lockdown was lifted, he made arrangements to go out there. And uh, to make all matters uh, worse, uh, my brother passed away uh, about an hour and 20 minutes before his son got there on site to see him. Wow. And he was not told. he He was in conversation with the prison at Butner for two weeks. Every day, tracking how things were going, and they said, everything's fine, everything's fine. He gets there, they pull him in a room, and they tell him, we're sorry, your father died an hour and 20 minutes ago. So oh, there's another one had, for you. They had not made the call to you to you folks? Nope, no. Didn't say he was grave, Said did not say he was declining, said everything was normal. Yep, mm. we had no idea. So That is, wow, that's horrific. And let me ask you a Again, question. Again, we could talk for hours on this. Sure. I mean, it, it doesn't even seem real that you got this. No. And you have your brother. I mean, absolutely. You have your brother who's medically not even in a position to be transferred back and forth. The strain on his on his body, on his emotional condition, on his physical condition, to throw him around like that, and to, with yep. no care. This is have have you folks reached back out to the congress uh, the congressman that that got involved with this initially to tell him the developments of what is what has happened here? Well, one of the things because this is all happening, and then and then you've got to worry uh, the family's got to worry about how do you get his body back from North Carolina to have services. Uh, that was all a process in its own, and it took some time. And we just buried him Friday, last Friday, so we really haven't got a chance to kind of gather ourselves up and and do some things but yeah there's some people we're going to contact and uh, we just hate to see this happen to anybody else roger hey understood we just 
listening to your story, just want to make sure that you know, uh, you know, we understand, uh, we 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 grieve, and and like you said, you got put in a position where you had to bring the body home and, and you do the funeral, and and wow, what a week ago, so. Uh, understood, yep. but yeah. Once you guys, what, once you get back together and really sit down, I mean, you you've got a lot of good information that uh, could possibly be used for a wrongful suit, you know, so a wrongful death suit. So, I mean, there's, there's some, there was a lot of wrong done, and it needs to be exposed. Uh, got to let 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 people know that yeah, uh, we're going after them. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, again, our biggest concern is more than anything is that it just doesn't happen to anybody else. That's that's all we care about, and uh, that's what will make uh, Ron's life and his time in prison. Uh, it's to honor his life in prison and and say, okay, this is just this just can't happen to people. Cannot happen to people. Just not not American. And then let's be clear on one thing: this is an actual camp. Is that correct? Yes. In so uh, Florence. Is, yes. 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 So this is not a it's high a, security uh, no. prison. And if I, you don't mind me asking, uh, Danny, um, what was um, Ronald incarcerated for? He was incarcerated for a white-collar crime. He was okay. actually found innocent in two courts in the state of California. It was had something to do with the agricultural business, and they said he was part of an embezzlement scheme, which okay. that's to be contested all in its all in its own. Uh, the no, thing absolutely. Was the, pe- the people, yeah, listen, you're gonna you're gonna get a kick out of this. The people that pled guilty to stealing three and a half million dollars got two and a half years in prison. Ron pled innocent to a hundred and fifty thousand. A hundred and fifty thousand, and they found him guilty and gave him twelve years. And Florence Admax in camp. Okay, then I'm going to. I'm going to chime in on that momentarily. We do have a caller on the line, Lisa. Yes, we have uh, Sharon, and on the line, you have a comment, Sharon. Yes, um, the first comment I have is: How can they say that he was faking when he had been up there to the hospital twice, and they told him, told them that he had a mask. And then the other comment I want to say is that uh, they always want to put people in prison. These guards and people that's running the prison, they ought to be put in prison because they are the ones that's murdering these people. No, absolutely. They need a taste of their own medicine. They get no way with murder, but yet they out in prison for no reason at all. It, it, that's a shame. That's a shame. And I hope that they get what's coming to them. Okay. You know, and, uh, Sharon, and, 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 and one, one thing I'd like to chime in, chime in and say real quick, on behalf of my brother and I and our entire family, the, the part that really grieves us the most is that the needless suffering that our brother went through for six mm-hmm. or eight months with no treatment. Can you imagine the pain of having a huge a malignant tumor inside your head and getting no medication for the pain. That poor guy went through that for five or six months till it finally he became completely unconscious. Completely. The yeah. the, 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 the the suffering is just it's it's inhumane. That's one of the biggest things that we hope never happens to anybody else. No, and then I agree with you 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 folks on that. It this is 
this is gut wrenching if uh, I can use that terminology. That you know, basically, you've caused this man and his family to die a very slow death that was unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And I keep talking right. about uh, the victim. Uh, terminology, and this is what the definition of a victim is. It says it is a person harmed, injured, or killed as a result of a crime, accident, or other event or action. So these actions that took place were avoidable, but they were they were not avoidable to a group of people who had no feeling and who did not care. And uh, again, my deepest for just cause radio to you folks, my deepest condolences. And apologies and sincere sorrow and sorry for what your family has had to endure as a result of this barbaric action that needs to be done. This this warden needs to be taken out of the prison. Absolutely. You, you know, th- th- we say on this program all the time, don't throw the baby out with the bath water. Well, the baby is not breathing. It has to be dismantled at this point. This is horrific. And I, I, my, my uh, thoughts are exactly with the caller. This is murder. Yeah. Exactly, and no way can the warden uh, be justified because uh, it's your it, it, you're you're in charge. You're the supervisor, and and for some reason I don't know why we always try to separate the two. And when I was in the military, that leader was held responsible for the actions of his soldiers. So I mean, hey, if that warden is that lax and can allow something like that to take place and do nothing, yeah, he, he should be charged also. Lisa, you had a comment for the for the guys here. Yeah, I'm just w- trying to figure how none of this made it into the news. Hmm. All this is going on, and there is nothing. You don't find uh, the news talking about it. You don't find articles on it. You don't find anything about it. It's like they just pushed it aside and act like it didn't happen. Exactly. Exactly. And, and uh, Danny, a uh, question for you and your brother. Um, what steps are being taken now? Uh, to seek justice, uh, and what can we do uh, to, and our listeners, is there anything that we can do to get involved here? Is there a petition that we can sign? Is there something that we can do to say, look, and, and, and we have a man that died, and like you said, this wasn't a mass murder who killed thousands of people uh, across the country, and even if that was the case, the inhumane treatment is unacceptable, period. Uh, what, what, are we, what are you folks doing now to pursue justice here? Lamont, I'll be honest with you, and Randy can chime in anytime. You're right now, we're just trying to regroup, and 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 we're not sure what happens next. So far, there's been nothing. Uh, Ron has two sons, and it's pretty much in their court as to what's going to happen next. We're still trying to pick up the pieces uh, and get the grieving over with. This has happened so quick. Right now, we have nothing moving on. There's no petition. There's no nothing. We're we're just, we're trying to get back to normal life. To be real honest with you. Yeah, and I, I would presume that would be the case. Uh, well, I tell you what, um, Danny and, and 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 Randy, you guys can give us a call. We want to respect the time of bereavement that you folks are dealing with, and give you that time and that space. Um, uh, we want to definitely give you that. But we do want to see what avenues that we can take as an advocacy group to step in uh, and to help in any way that we can, that justice might be brought. Because together, this battle that we fight with justice is not won by one person. It is won by a group of people um, with a heart and a mind to fight. And this is a battle we have to fight. Uh, That's your brother, and as you said, it is so commendable of of you folks to make the statement that this not happened to another person. Uh, 
um, we want to do all that we can and not be about lip service, but about actually doing. Uh, we're getting ready to take a break, and you folks come back with us, and we'll get your uh, uh, your comments and closing comments of what, what you may want to add to this story of what we can do, what our listeners can do, how they can get a hold of you. Can you guys bear with us on the other side of the break? Not a problem. Sure. Okay, we'll be yeah. coming right back. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a Just Cause, Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. This is Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart and Dennis Merritt. We're seeking justice, ladies and gentlemen. We need you to join us. We'll be right back. At the inception of A Just Cause Coast to Coast, the host and crew decided to devote a segment of each show to an exoneree moment. The purpose of the exoneree moment was to outline the case and highlight the circumstances that led to a wrongful conviction. AJC Radio also wanted to highlight the successes and failures of the justice system, understanding why the system failed and what ultimately turned the tide and cleared their name. We wanted to hear the personal first-hand accounts. They were appalling, emotional, astounding, and overwhelming. Lives devastated by the system. Most of the people who shared their stories were released from the building, but not from the system. They struggled to get their records expunged and clear their names, find suitable employment and housing, obtain restitution from the state, and reconnect with their families and friends. And it hardly fit the definition of exonerated which means to free from guilt of blame, to clear from a charge of guilt or fault, to exculpate. These are the stories of lives taken and returned, but must be rebuilt, adapted, reestablished, and transformed. The Profile of a Wrongly Convicted. A just cause exoneree for today is Dion Patrick. At about 8.45 p.m. on November 16, 1992, 41-year-old Jeffrey Lassiter, a drug dealer, and 37-year-old Sharon Hogabook, a prostitute, were fatally shot in Lassiter's apartment on the north side of Chicago, Illinois. On December 2nd, police officers saw 15-year-old Louis Gardner and 19-year-old Akia Phillips selling drugs on a street corner in the neighborhood of the double murder and arrested them. During interrogation, Gardner, who had an IQ of 70, said he got his drugs from 20-year-old Dion Patrick and that Patrick had been involved in the murders of Lassiter and Hogabook. Gardner and Phillips then implicated Nixon, Phillips' brother Paul, Patrick, and three others, Rodney Matthews, Joseph Brown, and 17-year-old Daniel Taylor. Detectives then picked up Patrick, who was held in an interview room for more than 27 hours without food or the opportunity to sleep. He denied knowledge of the murders. Patrick said his requests to summon his lawyers were ignored. Patrick was repeatedly told that the others had identified him as being involved. On December 3, 1992, Taylor gave confession that he, Matthews, Patrick, and Nixon went to the apartment to collect a drug debt Lasseter owed to Nixon. 
Gardner, Brown, and the Phillips brothers remain outside as lookouts. Taylor said that when Lassiter told them he didn't have the money, Patrick shot him and then shot Hogabook as Taylor and Mixon held her arms. Patrick went on trial in Cook County Circuit Court in March 1995. On March 10, 1995, Patrick was convicted of first-degree murder, home invasion, armed robbery, and conspiracy to commit murder. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. While the case was pending, the Illinois Attorney General's Office reviewed the state's attorney's trial file and discovered pretrial notes were written by a prosecutor after Taylor was charged with the murders. The notes showed that seven different police officers, two of whom had testified at Taylor's trial that Taylor was out of lockup at the time of the murders, had confirmed that Taylor was in fact still in the lockup at the time of the murders. These notes were then turned over to the lawyers representing Taylor in the federal court. On June 28, 2013, the Cook County State's Attorney's Office filed a motion asking that Taylor's conviction be vacated. The motion was granted and charges were dismissed and Taylor was released after more than 20 years in prison. In January 2014, Chief Judge Paul P. Bible, Jr. awarded Patrick a Certificate of Innocence. A Just Cause organization and a Just Cause radio, Coast to Coast, salutes Dion Patrick on his exoneration after serving almost two decades in prison on a wrongful conviction. The opinions and views expressed by guests and callers on A Just Cause Coast to Coast do not necessarily reflect those of A Just Cause or A Just Cause Coast to Coast. Hungry, you fed me. Naked, you clothed me. They will know us by our love. Can imagine how it felt as you lay there through the dark, through the heat, through the cold. With your friend by your side, held his hand and watched him die. And you cried as you prayed for his soul. I can't imagine how it felt as you stood there. The Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is a Just Cause Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. The song that you're hearing there is called Are You Listening? Uh, to our very special guest, um, Ronald. And uh, Ronald has passed, uh, passed away. Our condolences to his family, his brother, Danny, and Randy, um, our deepest condolences tonight. And uh, we say that tonight for folks to know that somebody needs to start listening. Uh, I can tell you tonight, uh, Danny and and Randy, we are listening on this program tonight, and our listeners are listening. uh, And we want to say that uh, anything that we can do as an organization to offer help uh, in any way uh, in seeking justice for your brother, uh, we are committed to that. And... uh, uh, you know, we want to give you a special invitation to call back in as updates are done on this case and the situation with your brother. I believe the battle is worth fighting. And uh, as you folks have said, and your passion and, and your and all that you have gone through, uh, to to make sure that that doesn't help happen to other families uh, is the highest level of honor that you folks have bestowed on this program tonight. And, and we thank you so very, very much for that. We'd like to give you an opportunity for any closing statements you'd like to make to our listeners, um, how they may be able to get a hold of you, what things can we do or they do to join this fight uh, for justice for your country. All right. So 
what we're doing right now is we're, uh, as I told you, we just uh, we just buried my brother on Friday, so we've told his two sons that uh, let's take a deep breath and let's make sure we we go. We all have our own paperwork, emails, things like that, uh, stuff that came from Ron. So let's 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 go back, take a deep breath. We don't want to do anything. Uh, really, we don't want to do anything out of anger or anything like that. We want to make sure what we do is just, and, and sure. we want to be able to help people. And we just don't want to come off and uh, just do something uh, just off the cuff. We want to make sure we understand what we're doing. So we're going to take a deep breath. We're going to meet with his two sons, and we're going to uh, talk with them and talk this through. We, we've had people contact us with options, and uh, we just want to, we want to gather all the information and uh, and decide what direction we go from there and, and how how we get there. Okay, so, and uh, okay. that's fine, um, folks. Thank you for taking the time out this evening to join to to spend with us and our listeners tonight, uh, Danny and Randy. Uh, again, uh, we consider you folks family, and uh, uh, anything we can do to be here for you, uh, the invitation in the door is always open to call us back uh, to be to bring it for us to bring you back on the show to share whatever your heart desires to share. As this, uh, we believe that justice will be found in this case because when you go up against injustice, uh, if the fight is right, justice will re- prevail. So uh, we believe that'll happen in this case. And uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And uh, that invitation is always open to you folks. Okay. And we appreciate very, very much. And we will definitely uh, be talking to you again. Okay. Take yep. care. Well, Lamont, we'll, we'll keep in contact, Lamont. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. You folks take care. Uh, thank you. Okay. All right. All right, there you go, folks. Uh, this is, um, wow. Uh, you could not tell me that this is the United States of America. Oh, it's, just, it's just unbelievable. I mean, that, that, was, a, that was a serious, uh, serious story and, and real. So it's, it's just amazing to see how much society as a whole uh, looks at prisoners. And, and I think it's so wrong because no matter what you say, they're still human. And again, uh, with the recent influx of uh, exonerations and uh, all the wrongful convictions that are being found out, and of course, uh, people being compens- compensated for, that lets you know we got a serious problem in the United States of America. Yeah, Lisa. I mean, one thing that I I heard Danny say is that uh, it wasn't American. That's what he said. Yes, that's deep. What in the world has America come to? Well, because actually, mm-hmm. it is American. We're seeing more and more that's what America is about. It's really about America is not what everybody always was taught about. It's not what you believed it was as a child. You grow up and and you realize that America is a cold, hard place. That there's not care for each other. There's not care for your brother. There's not care for your neighbor. There's no love. There's no compassion. America is not. What I was taught when I was a child, what America was, when we stood in in our classrooms and pledged allegiance to the flag, you had an idea in your mind of what America was. Oh, absolutely. And that idea is so far gone. It's so Hmm. far gone. That's not, I don't see that as America anymore. America to me has got so many issues. They need to fix so much to be what America is supposed to be. No, and I, I agree with that, Lisa. I can tell you, growing up as a little tyke uh, with my little jeans and corduroy pants on, uh, I remember going into uh, the classroom, and they said, we're going to do the Pledge of Allegiance. And the entire school stood up, 
in those classrooms that we uh, uh, we shared the Pledge of Allegiance. And I remember growing up as a young man, the emotions you would feel when you watch the Democratic Convention or the Republican National, and the emotion of patriotism and and you know folks are giving speeches and you feel chill bumps and. You feel American, and then they come out with the song, I'm proud to be an American, in a land where I can be free. I mean, they just begin to sing that song, and you find out the song is a joke. Uh, proud to be an American. I tell you, this is, this is saddening. You know, America was about, you know, a baseball game, a nice jumbo hot dog and a Coke at a ballpark on a, on a, on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, America, Mama's apple pie on the on the porch, uh, doing a family barbecue and uh, some fresh squeezed lemonade in America. And you could leave your door unlocked, yeah. and uh, not worry about somebody coming in. And now, guess this is the tragedy, folks. It's the police officers in uniform that we are afraid that that may be coming through the front door. How how insane is that? And what a ninety degree uh, ninety degree turn, if you will. That's happened in this country, and uh, I think America should be very concerned, but concerned enough to do something. I think we said that last week, Lisa, that, uh, you know, we gave the the terminology of a noun and a verb. Yes, you did. And uh, (laughs) uh, I tell you what, folks, when you're talking about people dying, you know, there's certain things that move you to change. You know what? Wait a minute. How many more people do we have to see get gunned down in the street? How many correction officers go in a prison and kill people with a license to kill. That's right. These folks have a license. They, you might right. as well go out and get, you know, you can go get, get a hunting license to hunt because it's hunting season. Yeah. They, they're getting a license to kill human beings now. Absolutely. Well, it is hunting season. We got a bunch of, uh, <laughs> you know, felons in prison, so we can treat them any way that we want to treat them and, and do uh to do what we want to do to them. And I think what's tragic here is the lack of medical care that goes on behind prison walls. Now, yeah. it says here uh, in regards to – there's an act that was indated uh, or uh, created by Congress uh, that was passed some years ago called the Montez Act. That act was put in place as a result of uh, Mr. Montez, uh, who was denied medical care behind the prison wall. And that act came into play as a result of of that type of mistreatment of people. Uh, there were people at, at the prison that I was at, again, wrongfully convicted, wrongfully incarcerated. Um, and I was exonerated of, of those charges and found not guilty. So let's put that on the table first. Secondly, uh, you know, I would be sitting in the visitor room. There was a young old man there that had uh, diabetes, but he had no control over his bladder. Uh, his mother came in. Uh, they came all came from Mexico, uh, came in to see him, a huge family. And as soon as they walked in, nothing but tears and crying. And uh, the gentleman said, I need to go use the bathroom. Uh, he didn't have control of his of his of his uh, uh, bodily functions, if you will. But um, the correctional officer embarrassed him in front of his family, told him, man, go put on a diaper, he said. Wow. This man was 50-something years old. Uh, when he told me the story, he said he had never been so humiliated in his life. They let that man sit there, and he urinated on himself in front of his family. This is what you call abuse. This is what you call victims exactly. of barbaric actions 
on the part of these correctional officers. I've seen that with my own eyes. I remember, uh, and, and to our listeners that don't know, I developed type 2 diabetes as a result of being in prison with the diet, the food. Um, and I can tell you this. I remember blacking out and coming to on the floor, but I had no idea what was wrong with me. And I remember the guard came in there and said, let me get you to the infirmary. And he took me in a wheelchair because I couldn't hardly see. And I'd fallen off of the bunk. But if you fall off the bunk in a prison cell, I can assure you there's no bed of roses under you. Uh, It is complete cement. And uh, you can actually get killed doing that. I had a guy that jumped off, that fell off the bunk. He was a cellmate of mine, and his ankle bone came through his skin uh, when he jumped off. And you know what they told us? We told him before this happened to my, to my cellmate, we need ladders in the cells so folks could get up and down on those bunks. We're not putting ladders in there. So we grabbed a chair one day and put it in there so he could get up. On, he was injured. He couldn't climb up on that bunk. We got written up for it, for putting a chair in the cell. Wow. A week later, he, he fell off the bunk and, again, broke his, his entire ankle. Ankle came through the skin. This, these are the things that I'm telling you about <laughs> that happens behind the prison wall. That is unreal. So, you know, folks, you can sit out there and think, well, you know, folks went to prison and, you know, they're getting what they deserve. That's not your call. They've already been sentenced by a judge. Exactly. So the time that they're doing, they're doing their time. But it doesn't give you the right uh, to, to, uh, to do something like that. It, it is and I could, we could go on and on all night with stories of horror, people being beaten and assaulted. And uh, there was an incident at, at Buena Vista Prison here in Colorado where a, a guard was threatening another inmate for sexual favors and told him if he didn't do it, he would make him pay the price for it. A guard who took an oath to work, to, to work in that position. This is what your father, your brother, your sister, your mom, whoever you might love one you might have locked up and incarcerated. These are just some of the things that we talk about that nobody wants to talk about that's happening behind that wall. And the tragedy, uh, a tragedy about that is because because it's behind the wall. I mean, who's seeing? Who's watching? And, and and the sad fact is that when an inmate tries to tell the truth or tries to tell a story, uh, it's not believed. It's frowned upon. It's like you're lying. You have to be lying. Why? You're you're a criminal. You're an inmate. You can't be you can't be telling the truth. And so there's really it's hard to to get into that prison system. That's what we need to do. Get in there, talk to our prisoners, and find out what's really going on because. It's a sad fact that something takes place after a death. How do we prevent the death? And and that's a matter, you know, there's not a crime that's committed on the streets that doesn't follow with an investigation. That's right. But you're finding that because they're the nobodies and the rejects of society, it doesn't really matter. But we're seeing that not only folks that are in prison, we're seeing that with black men that are getting gunned down in streets. That's right. Uh, We're not really worried about that. We say we're going to do an investigation, but that's lip service. We say, oh, we'll look into it. Well, that's the biggest cop-out in our country today. Well, we're going to look into it. We can't discuss it because an ongoing investigation is going on. And we justify 
the killing before the investigation. We justify our Absolutely. actions before there's investigation. It's automatic. I got to justify why I shot this unarmed black man. Why I I, I put this 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 uh, inmate in a shower and turned on the water to 180 degrees. I have to justify it before it's even investigated, and, and it's a tra- it's, it's a shame. Absolutely is. Well, I, I guarantee you that uh, the dialogue is important that it start uh, because I believe that um, until we become outraged, not bothered, not it agitated, irritated, man, outraged. <laughs> That human life continues to be lost in this country. Exactly. And now, you know what I'm learning, Dennis and Lisa, this is very clear. What I'm learning is this. Darren Rainey, who we uh, showcased last week on this program, a man who was in prison for I don't less than, what, an ounce of cocaine? Hmm. In prison for less than an ounce of cocaine and... We believe and have heard reports that there was no cocaine found or or that Mr. Rainey did, that he was not a drug addict. He was not a drug dealer. And when you find things like happening that happened in South Carolina where a cop calls in a, a call to say he's in distress and that it proves to be all a lie. All a lie then who can you trust in a police report to say that this man had cocaine? Let's just go a step further. If he had cocaine on him, less than an ounce, he's not getting the death penalty for that. That's not a death penalty. That's a misdemeanor. In some states, it's a a citation. It's not a crime. I mean, it's not a felony or... Mm -hmm. But you take it upon yourself to point... And put this man in the shower and scald him till they said his skin separated from his body. And we sit back, sit back as Americans and say, we have the greatest system in the world? Are you out of your mind? And that goes, to, that goes to any judge, any lawyer, any prosecutor who makes that statement. You are not in the world of reality. The world of reality is very clear. <laughs> That is the worst system in the in this world that you call justice. Let's just call it what it is. And, right. and, and the prison, the if I'm not mistaken, uh, I guess they suspended the uh, correctional officers with pay. With pay. So we're going to give you that, a, we're going to give you a vacation <laughs> down here in Florida. Unbelievable, Dennis. They're down in Florida <laughs> with pay. With pay. So hey, let's just go down to the ocean. Let's go eat some seafood and uh, go on the beach and hang out. That's our that's our reward for killing a man. No, see, I think this is just me. Uh, they should be in prison right now, pending investigation. Well, <laughs> the, the issue you have the issue you have is Above that the law, the prisons have become so much of big business. They've left the human side of prison. Yes, they have. It's, it's all money. It's just big business. This says here. Uh, and this goes to the Montez Act that I was talking about earlier, that Colorado uh, has agreed to spend millions of dollars providing equal access and services to disabled state inmates. And an arbitrator has ruled that the state should pay more than $1 million to the lawyers who sued on behalf of prisoners. The settlement ends 11 years of litigation in Denver U.S. District Court, 
Six inmates sued the state in 1992, alleging Colorado prisons did not comply with the Federal Americans with Disabilities Act and Rehabilitation Act. The settlement requires the state to, to renovate prison facilities at an expected cost of more than $3 million and provide disabled inmates assistance such as handicapped, accessible cells, sign language, interpreters, braille, and large print documents, and carefully chosen inmate aides to help them with daily activities if necessary. For instance, at the Colorado Territory Correctional Facility in Canyon City, uh, a pill dispensing counter will be lowered and a handicapped accessible drinking fountain will be installed. Two toilet rooms in the kitchen work area also will be reconfigured uh, and recreational activities have been relocated to handicapped accessible areas. The individual awards are either 1500 or 3000 except for lead plaintiff Jesse Montez, whose estate was awarded $5,000, and Mr. Montez actually died during the litigation. Wow. wow. Mr. Montez, so when you go into prison, you see these huge yellow signs in, in all over the prison, says the Montez Act. But I'm going to tell you right now, prisons are not adhering to the Montez oh, Act. Not at all. So they said, oh, they're going to renovate and make sign. I have yet to see Braille in a prison. I've been to six prisons in this state that no such things exist. Mm. That's a bunch of ball right yep. there. Yep, that's all it is. So we can, what they do, ladies and gentlemen, they put a big sign up, but uh, guess what? Nothing happens. That's just for show. And we're, we're they'll, they'll, they'll believe it. That, that's what they say. They, they just throw something out there, they'll believe it. This is this is uncomprehendable. So, uh, for ladies and gentlemen, if you want to get involved in this conversation tonight, we're going to ask that you uh, dial in and give us a call uh, to three four seven eight three eight eight nine seven six. What what horrific stories have you heard? What have you seen and, and observed that you know that our system uh, is in a is, is not only in a state of decay, it has decayed. It's not even starting to. It is decayed. Period. Um, and there are these are these are loved ones here. These are family members. How difficult do you think it, it's going to be for a family member to hear? And I could, my heart went out to the to uh, Danny and Randy uh, about their brother. You could hear the pain, exactly. uh, the loss, and the no. And he said, "Can you imagine the pain this man had to be in uh, as he approached his closing hours of this life uh, as a result of cruel treatment by a system we call one of the best in the world." And they're humble. They're humble. That, that, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the victim is humble. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the perpetrator, you can't even hear him. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so quiet, uh, all because they know that what they did was wrong. And I think that's something that, uh, that we need to take a look at. Again, if you want to join in the conversation tonight, uh, we will invite you uh, to call in. Um, and, and tell us your thoughts. That number is 347-838-8976. Uh, three four seven eight three eight eight nine seven six. And what we'd like you to do is to go ahead and give us a call uh, and and tell us your thoughts if you want to join in this conversation. What are your thoughts about human beings being treated uh, as they are being treated uh, right now? Uh, so what we want to do is go ahead and we're going to go on a break right now. And on the other side of the break, we'll come back. We'll get into we'll get into further dialogue. Uh, about what is going on. So, uh, folks, again, this is a Just Cause Coast to Coast where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. We'll be right back.
The racial composition of the prison population in the United States is very different from the population at large. If people are worried about inequality in America today, I think this deserves more attention in the discussion. Racial inequality in the criminal justice system gets ignored because it doesn't affect most people. In 2010, over 1.6 million people were in state and federal prisons within the United States. So 497 out of every 100,000 Americans were in jail, about half of 1%. Less than 1%. That doesn't seem very large, but when you separate that population by race, you recognize that the personal effects of the criminal justice system are very unequally shared throughout our society. Whites make up 64% of the total population, but only 31% of the incarcerated population. Blacks represent 14% of society, but 36% of the prison population. Hispanics are 16% of America, but 24% of the American prison population. Less than one in 100 Americans are currently in jail, but for some races, genders, and age groups, that ratio is a lot larger. For example, if you're young, black, and male, it's closer to about one in four. That means you'd have a higher probability of going to jail than of getting married or going to college. These results are unequal and problematic as poor black communities lack so many of their members. But what can be done? The causes of this trend are undoubtedly complicated and multi-causal. But there is reason to suggest that part of the blame is our criminal justice system itself in the ways police officers enforce laws, in the ways that laws are written and prosecuted, and more. In many cases, it is not overt racism by individual actors. Many police officers, prosecutors, and judges are undoubtedly trying to be fair and trying to do the right thing. But economics can explain how unequal enforcement of the criminal law happens anyway. This is because the political and bureaucratic structure of the criminal justice system creates perverse incentives. The formal laws surrounding drug prohibition, for example, are written as if to be colorblind, but people with different levels of wealth face different costs and benefits to participating in the drug trade. Different groups consume different drugs at different rates, and lastly, those groups are politically represented in very different quantities. Thus, they are arrested and incarcerated at very different rates. How could minority groups hope to use the political process to fix inequality when they are systematically over-incarcerated and disenfranchised. Despite noble intentions, politics often does not affect the basic incentives of costs and benefits faced by political or citizen actors. We might need a new approach to social change if we are going to address these problems. We definitely need more study into the causes of inequality, and we should admit that radical changes might be both necessary and preferable to the status quo. Ladies and gentlemen, 
He's like the tongue in the battle hymn of war. And uh, that's what we're in right now, a war against injustice. This is Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Dennis Merritt. And uh, we are here to bring you education and awareness and information about judicial injustice. Injustice. Uh, <laughs> you know, it takes your breath away uh, as we march on for justice for victims in this country and those victims happen to be behind the wall tonight and that's our discussion tonight and we uh this is it's it's, un, it's uncomprehendable what we have seen and heard on this show tonight yes, um it is. death death and more death uh not only behind the wall on the streets in this country um it is it is heartbreaking what we see on a daily basis now um, and I'm always looking uh, on CNN for the red and white letters, breaking news, uh, another black man killed. Uh, you, you just yes, sit back true. and wonder, what is going on? We have touched on it a little bit tonight. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what the thought process is in this country regarding the incarcerated. But I can tell you right now, these are human beings that some have made mistakes. Some have made bad choices. But they are human beings. We do not render justice or render judgment, if you will, on the lives of these men and women across this country. Uh, We simply try to understand and try to offer help and rehabilitation to these men, to these women, and not throw them away. And I think uh, as we go into the abuse, Lisa and Dennis, uh, uh, in regards to what's going on behind the wall, we found that. Uh, a story that comes out of Raleigh, North Carolina. An autopsy was done uh, on an inmate, and the top the title reads, Mentally Ill North Carolina Inmate Died of Thirst. That is absolutely ridiculous. Now, let me say that again. Not over in Africa, <laughs> uh, in third world countries where water is scarce. He's in North Carolina. I'm sorry, is that the ocean in that area? <laughs> yes. All right, yeah. all right. Yeah. Plenty of water. Says here, a North Carolina inmate with mental illness who had been held in solitary confinement died of thirst, according to an autopsy report released Thursday. Michael Anthony Kerr, 54 years old, was found unresponsive in the back of the van March 12th after being driven roughly three hours from Alexander Correctional Institution in Taylorsville to a mental hospital at Central Prison in Raleigh. The North Carolina Department of Public Safety subsequently fired a captain and four nurses at Alexander. A nurse and a staff psychologist resigned. At the time, Public Safety Secretary Frank L. Perry pledged an aggressive yet thorough internal investigation into Curl's death. However, nine months later, the agency has not made public any results of that probe. Because probes don't exist. (laughs) That's exactly right. The only place you're going to find a probe is in Star Trek, and they're not real. How does a man die of thirst in America? Water's free. How is that possible? Because they, I'm telling you, this mentality, this uh, uh, once you're a criminal, you're you're lower than a, a, a dog, a cat, a mouse. You, you, you're nothing. And so I, I think about this. When, when I was in the military, we used to go on long rides, and we would take stops. That was mandatory because, you, you know, you got to use the restroom. 
You got to make sure everybody's okay. But when it comes to prisoners, inmates, I'm telling you, there is no concern, period. We could really care less. So I guarantee you, they didn't even find out that this, this guy had died until they actually stopped and got to their final destination, opened the van to get them out. That's unbelievable. Because there's, there's no care. There's no care. care. Yeah. There's, there's no care. And this is what we talk about, victims, 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 victims. Victims is someone who is killed, injured, or harmed uh, by another person, whether it's murder, whether it's involuntary. You still, these are victims. These are victims. I think we talked about uh, last week in regards to what the FBI um, the forensic testing, uh, the DNA testing, all of those things found faulty, found unreliable, uh, found that there were people who would be released from prison as a result of the tainted findings of the FBI. And here's the problem. If I'm not mistaken, I saw number nine and I saw number five. Those numbers represented either nine people that were that were executed. And Scott Pelley said it best. He said this is happening, but there are there are a group of people that will not be notified because they're already dead. Then you have five people that were sitting on death row who died while waiting to be executed, who in this particular case, from what they were talking about, tainted DNA, which means very likely not guilty. Mm-hmm. So we have 13 people wow. dead for the incompetence of one of the highest law enforcement agencies in the land, the highest. And you know what? No one's in prison. This is what makes no sense. And, and just like with the story you was just reading about the men- mentally ill uh, inmate that died of thirst, no one is in prison. Yeah. All they did was they fired him. Until we, make, we hold him accountable, until there's a price to pay, Fired, I could get a job somewhere else. But until you start putting them in prison, putting them on death row, I guarantee you there will not be a change. There has to be accountability. Now, Dennis, that inmate that died of thirst, they're saying in this article that uh, Lamont was uh, looking at, uh, that because of the lack of information, the pathologist wrote that she was unable to make a determination about whether his death should be classified as natural Accidental Natural. or homicide. Wow. Wait a minute. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. <laughs> also, they said the records show that before being driven to the hospital, he was being held in disciplinary segregation, which oh, is commonly known as what? There's a just solitary. Well, the hole. The hole. Yeah. The yeah. There's a justification, though. And so they have they have no information about whether how long he had been without food, how long he had been without water. Uh, none of that information is available. Mm. They don't have any of that to give to no. anybody. Well, th- th- this is this is why uh, there is no confidence on any level for the justice system of this country right now. I don't have any. Th- I mean, I mean, I mean I really, really, I don't. nothing. You can't believe. And this is what's tragic. And let me say this, and let me be very clear. There are good officers out here. They Absolutely. give their lives yes. and care. But the problem is, if a blizzard is in town, it doesn't matter whether the sun was out yesterday or not. What we know right now is that we have a blizzard and we can't drive. We can't see. We have a snowstorm. That is what we have in this country right now. We know the good is out there. 
and I salute every officer, every every law enforcement uh, personnel that gives gets up every morning to make a difference and impact the lives of people. AJ, AJC Radio salutes you. So we're not about exactly. bashing all cops or all judges or all prosecutors, but we are saying at this uh, point in this country, we have a problem. We have an outbreak. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Outbreak. Right, right, right. Uh, you know, this is a virus, man, that's that, that spreading everywhere. But but one thing too, uh, if you think if you if you look at it, we shed light on our police officers, and uh, we we have awards. We 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 recognize those that do well. We we try to. That's right. But one thing we don't do, we don't recognize, we don't shed light on those that don't do well. I mean, it's got to be twofold. Yeah, let's honor our police officers that's doing a great job, but let's expose the ones that are not. That's right. We have to do that. If we don't do that, we continue to see this beautiful picture of our police officer, our justice system. No, let's show both sides. America needs to see the good and the bad. That way we can make the right decisions when it comes to uh, innocent uh, lives. No, and I, I think that's a good point that uh, the bottom line here is that we have an obligation to expose the corruption because if we just sit back and turn a blind eye, well, our black men are going to continue to get shot and killed. Yes, they are. If you go in your house tonight, Baltimore, Maryland, and stop marching and crying out against the death of Mr. Gray, the death will continue. The only thing that got the attention of news agencies across this country is when people stood up in Ferguson. They stood up in in uh, where Michael, uh, I believe that's where Michael Brown was killed. When people stood up in New York City when Eric Gardner was murdered, that is when we began to get coverage of the uh, of the horrific acts of our law enforcement across this country. It it, it means you're going to have to get up and do something, and that is all of us are required to do something. And I don't care if it's going out, door to door, going on Facebook, going on Twitter, commenting, making your voice be heard, calling into this program. You know, we got a lot of folks out here listening. We need you to pick up your telephone. Let folks hear what you're talking about. Exactly. Let everybody know. Let the let the uh, uh, the guests that we had on the show tonight, uh, the Salado brothers, let them know that you know what you're not alone. Yeah. That you are my brother. You know what I mean? We care. Somebody has to pick up the mantle and run with it. That's right. Because I'm going to tell you what, uh, one of our callers before, uh, wrong will never right itself. And uh, we have to change our mindset. We, we have, have to, to come together. That's the bottom line. As a people, as a as a community, as a nation. We have got to come together to create change. Come together, shine light on, just like Dennis said, the good and the bad, so that we can fix what's broken in this system. There's so much that's broken. We've got to work together to fix it. It can't be done by one person. It can't be done by just a just cause. It's got to have the participation of the entire community, the entire nation. We all have to come together with one voice and stand together and say we've got to make some changes. Things have got to be different. We have to become a team. Team stands for together, each accomplishes more. That's how we win become a team. 
And, and and that's the bottom line, folks. We are coming to the end of another program. We want to take a few minutes and thank everybody uh, for tuning in tonight. Next week, um, uh, call neighbors, call friends. So you know what? There's something going on down there in Colorado. And there's a group of people that have said one thing. We care and we will make a difference. And if you want to be part of that difference, you want to be part of that change, I'm telling you, it's going to take work. It's going to take digging in, and that's what we have to do. This is a Just Cause Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. I want you to remember the IRP6 tonight in your prayers. The IRP6 are David Banks, Dave Zapolo, Kendrick Barnes, Clint Stewart, Demetrius Harper, and Gary Walker, wrongfully incarcerated in a federal prison for a crime they never committed. They sit in a jail cell tonight crying for justice. We will be their voice. We need you to be their voice as well. You can learn more about the IRP6. Go to freetheirp6.org. That's freetheirp6.org. Lisa? Yeah, we also want to remind you to go out to gofundme.com and do a search on the IRP6 where, you, where you're able, you'll find a place out there where you're able to donate to the IRP6 families. The children, the spouses that are left behind after these men have been wrongfully incarcerated for three years. They need our support. They need our help. They need whatever help you're able to do. We need everyone to pull together. We need everyone to come together and do what you can so that these people have everything that they need. Also, we want you to know that a Just Cause is a 501c3. And if you think that what we're doing is worthwhile, we'd like you to go out to a-justcause.com. Click on the Donate button. And again, do what you're able to do. You want to check with your financial advisor regarding your specific situation on donations to a nonprofit organization. But there are a lot of helpful resources out there and just see what you can do. We need we need the support of, of our of our community as well. We need that support. Oh, absolutely. And uh ladies and gentlemen, you can also uh twenty four by seven here AJC and RP programming, the progressive radio network Sunday mornings at ten thirty AM. Also you can find us on the PRN.fm. Uh, The405radio.com, on-demand programming, iTunes, on-demand programming. Uh, We ask you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, uh, and check out uh, AJCRadio.com for check for any any updates going on with the IRP6 case. And also our archives of our weekly broadcast are on AJCRadio.com. You'll find our, 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 I'm sorry, you'll find our archives out there to listen to previous shows and See some of the work that we're doing. Some of the people that are that come on the show t- talking yes. about that agree that are standing with us that agree with what we're doing. Go out there and listen and see what other people have to say. Absolutely. And uh, Lisa, any thanks going out to any folks tonight? Yep. We want to thank Captain Kyle and El Phillips girl back in the control room doing all the hard work back there, keeping everything running smooth. We also have our our research team. That is giving us up-to-date information and so that we're able to get that information to you in a timely manner. Absolutely. We also want to say to the truth that we thank you. We appreciate everything that you do and the stand that you take. And we know appreciate it. Okay. And, uh, Dennis, uh, any shout-outs you want to give tonight as we close out tonight? Yeah, I just want to say uh, thank you to all our listeners. And, uh, again, please, please get out there and uh, express your concerns about injustice. We got to fix this thing. We got to make sure everybody know that we're we're here to fight and we will not stop fighting till we're done. And speaking of victims of the horrific judicial system right now, we do have uh some victims and uh they are the children of the RP6. I think you went to gofundme.com. Yeah. I'm going to say to our listeners out there tonight to 
go out there and make a difference. We can pull up to Starbucks every morning during the week, headed to work at 5, 6, 7, 8 a.m. We'll get a latte, what do they call them, a latte, caramel, whatever they call those drinks. Uh, caramel latte. You know what, folks? I'm going to tell you something. You haven't begun to live until you impact somebody else's life. Make an impact. Go out there to GoFundMe.com. Yes. These families need help. We can talk about it. I said last week there's one thing you have to be, and that's be about it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a Just Cause Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. We'll see you next week. Take care. Good night, everyone. Hey, good night, everyone. Good night, America. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.